As we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, we come to Luke chapter 23, verse 50, and I'll read through 24, verse 12. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who with them, uh, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would bless this sermon to the nourishment of your people, that you would use this powerful text inspired by your spirit uh, to not only convince our minds, but also warm our hearts so that we are a people that go forth from this place living in light of the resurrection and remembering its power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Imagine that you could interview anyone who was at the empty tomb that that early morning, the first day of the resurrection. Wouldn't that be just so interesting? You know, you put on your um, your your investigative journal journalist glasses, and you you show up, and you can ask questions of Mary and Joanna. What did you see? What was it like? It would be amazing. You could ask anything you want. Sometimes I, you know, I, from when I was a little kid, I used to think that would be so interesting just to, to ask them what they saw. But you know what? That's exactly what we see in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is a journalist. He's a historian. And we heard at the very beginning of his Gospel that 
What he is doing here is he's coming to eyewitnesses, people who actually saw what happened that morning and throughout the entire ministry of Jesus. And he's sitting down with them and he opens up his his notebook and he says, "Okay, tell me what you saw. Tell me, walk me through what happened that first Easter morning. And then the, the spirit of the living God moving through his hand and through his pen and through his mind gives us this perfect record, this perfect journalistic historical piece to tell us about the resurrection and why it matters. Did you notice that as we read, it kind of reads like, you know, just bare facts, bare history. First this happened, then this happened, then this happened. What, what Luke is doing is he's not embellishing. He's not, he's not trying to add on to what happened. He's trying to give you the bare facts so that you can decide what to make of this empty tomb. And what he wants you to do, because make no mistake about this, Luke, Luke isn't impassioned about, he want, about what he wants you to understand. Luke wants to move you from confusion to understanding and from understanding to amazement. That's what this journalist is about. That's what, that's what this inspired writer is seeking. And we're going to see that by looking at each of those steps. First, the confusion at the tomb, then the understanding or the clarity that arrives at the tomb. And then finally, this amazement that just washes over us as we really get what the resurrection of Jesus is about. So first, look with me at the confusion that sets in in verses one through three at the empty tomb. The first witnesses that Luke talks with and he writes down their record is a group of women. You'll notice he gives their specific names uh, at at one point in this passage. This is a, a group of women who are heading towards the tomb of Jesus. And first, I just need to pause and say this right away. It is significant, it's really important that women were the first people to see, to to be at the tomb that resurrection morning. Because at this time and in this day, women were the last people that you would turn to as an eyewitness. You look at some of the historians, they're writing around the time of Luke, and they're totally different. They wouldn't dare to write of women because women were seen as inferior to men at this time. And, and second rate, and their testimonies were, were um, questionable and corrupted. And oh, we, we, don't want, we don't want to write about what women saw. But, but see what Luke does. Luke and Jesus himself forever dignifies the testimony of women who believe in Jesus. He forever dignifies and honors them by writing them into his story. See, they are the, the first They are the last people to be at at the cross of Christ. And then they're the first people to be at the empty tomb. And so you know that famous song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? These women could say, yes, I was there. Were you there when they took him from the cross? Yes, we were there. We were there. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? And they could say, yes, we saw him. We were there. devotion to Jesus, deep love for him that wakes them at the crack, the crack of dawn that Easter morning. They've been waiting you know, on Friday night, Friday afternoon, Jesus died and he was laid in, in the tomb. 
And they went to the place and saw, they saw their master, their beloved one laid in the tomb. But then the next day was the Sabbath. So they went and they, they obeyed the command of God to rest. But you have to wonder, you have to know that every second that they are waiting, they want to go back to Jesus' body. They're pained with sorrow that he has died and that heaviness of death hangs over them. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know what that's like in the days that follow. And when you can't come to, to their grave and, and pour out your heart to them and, and, and show your love to them, that's hard. And so the very first thing these women do when they're able um, on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, is they get up as early as they possibly can and they prepare perfumes and ointments to take so that they can put it on the body of Jesus. They love him. And as devotion drives them to that empty tomb, it's on the way there that they're probably starting to wonder what they're going to do about that massive rock that's laying over the entrance of the tomb. Because the tomb of Jesus wasn't like the tombs that we see when you go to a cemetery today, right? If you go around, you look at a cemetery, people are buried under the ground. But Jesus' tomb and tombs at this time were ordinarily like this. You know, you have a, a big uh, rock, um, what do you call it? You know, a big, a big rock wall. And then there's uh, carved into it is a, is a space, an opening. And then over that space, you know, in, within that space, you would lay the body on a, on a rock slab. But on the outside, there was a big rock that you would roll in front of the entrance. And so inside this cave is the body and it's sealed away from the outside. And so the women arriving there are probably wondering, what are we going to do about that big rock? But as they arrive, there's a shocking discovery. They had to say, what? What on earth? The rock has been rolled away. And the door, the opening to this cave where Jesus is laid is just wide open. And so they rush up and they look inside and there's nobody. Jesus is gone. It's not that they couldn't find him, that, you know, it's the body is somewhere in, in there. No, he's not there. And so imagine the surprise and confusion and shock that just washes over them and their heads are spinning. And then add to this that suddenly two angels appear, two men whose clothing looks like lightning and and their appearance is bright. And, And then they ask this wonderful question, one of the greatest questions in the Bible. Women, why are you searching for the living amongst the dead? And Luke tells us, He records with his journalistic accuracy. He says, they were perplexed. They were confused. What does all this mean? and, and, And other gospels tell us that they were also deeply concerned. Where have they taken the body of my Lord? Confusion is what marks the beginning of this first Easter. And isn't that often where the gospel begins in our lives as well, with confusion? You, you know what I'm talking about. We, we think sometimes that we have it all figured out and we have those nice, neat categories. Um, and then something that Jesus says in the scriptures or something he does just doesn't fit in there. And suddenly we're, we're scrambling and our head spinning. We're saying, well, how does this fit with my understanding of who God is and who Jesus is? 
That's what the gospel often does. It comes and it just uh, sends our head spinning in confusion. You see, these women thought that they knew who Jesus was. They went to that empty tomb that morning and they thought the last thing that they thought was that it would be empty. They had in their minds a picture of what they would find, what the body would look like. And what they're starting to figure out is the Jesus that they thought they knew, the full picture of who he was. Yes, they know certain things about him, but there's other things that they've assumed about Jesus that are just a figment of their imagination. And the sooner that they let go of who they thought Jesus was, then the sooner that they can actually begin to see who he is in all his glory. You see, they need to move uh, from, from appreciating Jesus as a friend, as a rabbi, as a prophet, as a master. To widen their minds to see that Jesus could actually be the risen Savior. And they, they can't do that when they come and see the empty tomb. But, but they're starting to get the picture that Jesus is, is greater than they thought he was. Now, friends, maybe you're here this morning and you need this too. In fact, maybe your, your mind already is starting to you know, get a little bit foggy with confusion. You say, wait, I thought, I thought this was true of Jesus. Huh, how do I make sense of what I just read in this passage? Now, I, I invite you to not be afraid or concerned about that confusion as long as you see that it can be the gateway the gate to a greater understanding of the gospel. That confusion can actually be the first step to to invite you to take steps towards greater clarity about who Jesus is and what the gospel is all about. It's like I remember someone in my, um, my family had this painting on their wall and every time we all walked past it, we said, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting piece of modern art. But then there was one day that we Someone looked at it more carefully and they said, wait, wait a minute. And they turned it sideways and they realized it wasn't a piece of modern art at all. It was this beautiful uh, painting with, with, that had people and images and all you had to do was turn it in another direction. And that's kind of how it is with the gospel, right? When we know certain things about Jesus, but we don't have the full picture. And the confusion comes along and it can grip us and bother us. And we say, oh, so that's how it all works out. You see, that's what's happening with this women is Jesus is moving them from confusion to clarity. Now, how do we get there? And how does he get them there? Verse six, these angels don't just have this wonderful question that confuses them and, 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 sit, and sends them wondering. He, the angels also are messengers from Jesus to tell them and you how to move through the gate of confusion to clarity about who Jesus is. And here's the key word. Here's how you get from confusion to clarity. Remember. Remember. Here's the problem that these women have. They have gospel amnesia. You know what amnesia is, right? And usually it's when you hit your head and then you've forgotten who you are and who your family is and I hope none of you have ever had amnesia. I hope that none of you are here this morning with amnesia. But in one sense, we all have a sort of amnesia. And so do these women in this text. 
It is a forgetfulness about the very things that Jesus said are true. Now, what have these women forgotten on this resurrection morning? They forgot everything that Jesus said was going to happen. Do you know that before Jesus rose from the dead, not once, not twice, not three times, even more than that, Jesus actually said at at various places through the book we've been preaching, he said, guess what? You need to know something. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. I'm going to be I'm going to um, be under the power of death for three days. And then guess what? I'm going to rise again from the dead. Jesus actually said that. So why is it that? When they come and they see the empty tomb, the first thing that goes through their mind is confusion and perplexion and, you know, what's, what's happening? What they should remember is, wait, Jesus said something about this. You see, here's the thing. The words of Jesus come and they tell us of a greater story. They actually make sense of the empty tomb because... Take out the words of Jesus. If you never had the words of Jesus and take out the voice of the angels, if you never had them, well, sure, you see an empty tomb and what do you think? Well, maybe his body was stolen. Maybe we only thought he was dead. Huh, I wonder sometimes nature just causes people to rise from the dead. I didn't know that was possible. But no, Jesus' words, when we remember what Jesus said, it all starts to make sense. It's like the puzzle comes together. And this is what it's like. The empty tomb, it's empty because Jesus has actually conquered death. He bodily rose from the dead. And that's good news. Let me tell you about those two pieces of good news. First of all, what does this mean? It means victory over death. That death is no longer a prison that holds us down, but its gate is open so that it cannot no longer hold those who who love God. So that when we die... We know that our bodies go there to rest only for a time. But the grave is never sealed because of what Jesus did. It's open. And so there will come a day when when we come from our graves with with these very bodies. Here's the other thing that this good news means is Jesus tells you, remember what I said. It means that death is an open gate to paradise, to heaven with God. It means that there is a new world that is starting to dawn. And the light of a new world is breaking forth. Not a world of sin and death, a world that goes from death to death to death to death, but a world that goes from death to life. And Jesus says that he is the living one, the one who is raised and who has the power to raise people from the dead. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus says in this passage. He says, remember, remember what I said. And it'll all make sense of the empty tomb. Friends, we struggle with gospel amnesia too. With resurrection forgetfulness. It really is unbelief is is ultimately what it is, right? We live like there's no future hope. How many times do we catch ourselves a day saying, all is lost, death is won, I'm... I guess things really aren't going to get better than this. What are we forgetting when we think that way? We're forgetting that Jesus has conquered death and a new world is dawning through the power of his resurrection. That there really is hope and it's not all, all is not lost. That depression and sadness does not have the final word. 
Here's the other thing we forget. We forget that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know that, do you remember that the Bible says that about you? It says, behold, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So why is it, friends, that sometimes we go around and think, you know, I can't help but sin. This is who I am. What are you forgetting when you think that way? You're forgetting that, that that's not who you are in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. Sin does not have its grip on you. You do not have to disobey God. You do not have to live in a way that, that, that rebels against him. You are free to love and serve him. Don't forget that. Here's the other thing that we can forget. We can pretend like our sins weren't really nailed to the cross. We can forget that they were nailed to the cross and that God holds them against us no more. We can walk around with, with this constant shame saying, you know, God will never forgive me. God, I, th- this is the final straw. He won't love me after I've messed up this time. And, and here comes the gospel saying, don't forget. Your sins were nailed to the cross and they're laid in the tomb and they're not coming out. Don't forget that. We need to remember the words of Jesus. We need to remember that he is not dead. He is living. Now, friends, at this point, I want you to notice the patience and character of Christ in this passage for you. Here he is, the living one who is raised from the dead in all his power. And what is he doing throughout this entire passage? He's serving weak and forgetful and struggling sinners. That's what he's doing with all his power. He's saying, you shouldn't forget this. You you shouldn't stumble. You shouldn't have this confusion. But but friends, I'm going to meet you there anyways. You don't have to be ashamed about it. I'm going to meet you there and I'm going to lead you to the kind of gospel clarity that I want you to have. Gentle and understanding Jesus. He does not shame us for our doubts, for our struggles. He meets us where we are and he reminds us over and over and over again in his his word of what we need to know. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the kind of savior that you don't want to get a distance from? You want to spend more time with. That's who he is. And so Jesus leads us from confusion to clarity. And then I want you to see that's not where he stops. Jesus wants So much more for you. How do we respond to the empty tomb? How do we respond to all these things? You know, we actually are invited to see what a proper response would be because those women, they come, they hear the good news, it clicks in their minds, the Holy Spirit opens their hearts and they say, ah, I see how it all fits together. And they go running to the disciples, the very apostles who are the foundation of the faith. And what do they say? They tell them the good news and the, depo- the, the disciples doubt. They say, oh, these women spinning idle tales saying that Jesus rose from the dead. Give it up already. Maybe, maybe that's where you are this morning is there's doubt deep in your heart. You say, I just... I just couldn't buy into a story like that. It sounds too good to be true. Well, if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to look at another example in this passage. Not the disciples sitting in 
a room with the heaviness of death upon them, with doubt deep in their hearts. Instead, I want you to look at the example of one of the disciples, Peter. What does Peter do? Peter gets up and he runs to the empty tomb. Can you picture him in your mind? Running to the tomb. And and here's what the scripture says. It says he got low and he looked inside and he studied the tomb. And he sees everything there. He investigates. He stoops down. He searches. And friends, if you aren't sure this morning about all this resurrection talk. If you're not so sure that it could be true, then please don't put it off. Do what Peter did. Run to the empty tomb, investigate, consider, ask questions. Can this be true? I want to give you two pieces of evidence to help you along. Two pieces of evidence from this text that help you to consider if you're wondering, is this just too good to be true? If you're willing this morning to run to the tomb and consider, to really consider, I want you to just hear two simple pieces of evidence. And there's a whole lot more where that came from. First, let's notice again that the women are the key witnesses to this resurrection. In verse 10, even specific women are are mentioned. Now, again, remember, this is a time in which the testimony of women counted for nothing. If you were a woman and you wanted to, uh, to stand up in a court and your vo- voice to be heard, that, wasn't, that just wasn't possible. This is a culture in which women were the least powerful witnesses you could choose. And yet Luke chooses them. Luke sits down and he opens his notebook and says, tell me what you saw. Now that's significant, isn't it? Because if you were just trying to create a piece of fiction, a clever myth. Would these women be the ones you'd ask? No. It just, let me suggest, let me humbly suggest to you that this, this is not the kind of thing that makes for good fiction. It's not. Women witnesses at a time when women don't have a, a voice to be heard. Why would you choose that? Why would you come up with it? Another, another piece of evidence. The disciples are the first to doubt. Now think about this. These are the men who would form the leadership of the church. These are the men who would have the authority to speak about Jesus and what his life, death, and resurrection means. So why would Luke, if he's trying to, uh, if, if all he's doing is trying to craft a clever story, right? Why would he go to these disciples and and write about them and and come up with this story that they were actually from the very beginning doubting that this ever happened? And they were, their, their first reaction was, no way, that didn't happen. I submit to you that these facts just don't make sense if this is all just fiction. This rings with journalistic integrity. But I invite you to see for yourself and keep asking questions. There's far more that I can speak to. You heard in in 1 Corinthians that over 500 people saw Jesus alive after he died. There are far more more facts than that to testify to the resurrection. So Jesus wants you to run and investigate and ask those questions. But ultimately, he wants you to marvel at what is seen. Do you see that in verse 12? 
What does verse 12 say? I'll, I'll read it again. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You know, what are the things that make you just say, wow? That's my son's favorite word these days. Wow. He's two years old. But what makes you say, wow, wow, that's incredible. That changes my life. Something different for each of us. But the one thing that should just make us say, wow, that changes everything. It's the empty tomb of Jesus. And if you have come to the point where you are convinced of the resurrection, then friends, you know how easy it is to just hear about it time and time again and for it to lose that wow factor in our lives, that, that, that impression upon our hearts. But what does Luke want you to do? Jesus wants you to keep coming back to the resurrection so that it moves from your head to your heart. So that it is not just something that you understand and say, yeah, I believe that. But it also changes the way you live. So that the reality of the resurrection actually says, I really am a new creation. Jesus really is risen from the dead. My sins really are forgiven. And God, I'm a new person. I'm going to live like a new person because of that. Has the the resurrection come from your head to your heart? You can pray to God this morning that he would work in your life to show you that the tomb is still empty, to be excited to know that Jesus is still the living one, that he's still on the move in your life, in the city of Dayton. You willing to pray that this morning? Let's pray.